This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Damian Bulwa, and this is Fifth and Mission. Today we have a special episode. It's been one year since the Bay Area went into lockdown over the pandemic, and I'm joined by my co-host, Heather Knight, for this episode. Heather, how are you? Hanging in there. Glad we're on this side of the year rather than in the beginning. Yeah, it's been quite a year. It was March 16th, 2020, when everything changed. That was the day when six counties shut it all down. Shelter in place. The headline in the Chronicle read, stay at home. Heather, it's been an unbelievable year. Yeah, I still can't believe that the Chronicle hasn't skipped a beat in terms of putting out excellent journalism and podcasts as we all work from home. Um, That was crazy when we were sent home from the newsroom a few days before um, the official declaration to stay home, and we haven't really been back since. On this episode, we're going to revisit that day a year ago. We're going to talk to Aaron Alday, who's been a frequent guest on the program, the Chronicle's lead health reporter. We're also going to hear from listeners about their year and some medical workers. They spoke to us a year ago, and then we've brought them back, and we're hearing from them again. First, Heather, here's what it sounded like on Fifth and Mission exactly one year ago. This is our former editor-in-chief, Audrey Cooper. She was a co-host of the show back then, and she was talking to Aaron Alday. What does it mean to shelter in place? Like, how how is it going to affect my life? This shelter-in-place order is also lasting I was shocked when I heard how long it was going to last. Why so long? It's it's going to be reevaluated or right now they're saying April 7th. Right. Yeah. So three weeks. And again, that's, you know, other places that have instituted somewhat similar measures are even, you know, they're only going for two weeks. Uh, you know, I think what they're saying is that we're not going to be out of the woods in two weeks. Um, we're maybe not going to be out of the woods in three weeks. That's still one of the most incredible things about the pandemic, the idea that it was going to be three weeks in the beginning. We were so naive. We didn't know how much our lives would change. Heather, what do you remember about that day? Yeah, I remember when we found out um, everybody had one day to prepare to go into lockdown. And for some reason, everyone was obsessed with toilet paper. And um, going to the grocery stores, the shelves were just empty. And um, everybody thought, like, where am I going to get all of my paper products (laughs) but that um and then not knowing when kids would go back to school and when we go back to work and when it would be safe to ride muni and all these questions about the day-to-day life of san francisco um three weeks at the time seemed like an eternity and little did we know that those things would not happen for a very long time and it was no idle fear with the toilet paper by the way (laughs) that was a huge issue and hand sanitizer. Remember the run on hand sanitizer and Clorox bleach wipes? Yeah, Heather, I was in Hawaii vacationing at the time. It was surreal. And there's a bike ride that you can do around Maui. And I remember hitting a roadblock that week. And the sign said, please turn around. It essentially said something like, don't don't potentially bring the coronavirus into our community. Um, and then there were there were actually protests in Hawaii telling vacationers to go home. Wow. I was not in Hawaii. Thanks for making me jealous. Um, 
yeah, it was just stuck at home. I also vividly remember there was a little back and forth, like, is it better to um, be stuck at home with kids or to be stuck at home all by yourself? And I feel like in the beginning, it felt really hard to be home with your family, but I think I'm glad for them now. Um, it's easier than to be isolated all alone. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really painful year. I, I have a, a friend who lost his mother. I know that so many people have lost loved ones. I I feel really lucky in that then I just I still have a job. We still have jobs at the Chronicle. A lot of people have lost their jobs. Uh, my, my kids are at an age where where they can go to school and, and be somewhat independent. But um, Heather, you particularly have talked to so many people who the year has been has been terrible. And, and it's really been uh, been sort of either a lost year or, or a year of, of real pain. Yeah, um, San Francisco lost 440 people, which is actually a very low rate compared to most American cities, but that's still a lot of loss. And of course, many more people got sick. Um, one of my most vivid memories was interviewing a long hauler, um, somebody who's only in his 30s and his life seems to be permanently, you know, just devastated. He actually, since I wrote the story a couple months ago, has gotten worse. Um, and there's just no answers for people stuck in that position. So, um, of course, many people have lost their jobs, are financially wrecked. Um, many kids in San Francisco are still not back in school. So there's just a lot of loss people are still coping with. One thing we're going to do on this show is we're going to revisit with some people who we spoke to back then, come back and see how they're reflecting on the year. One of those people is our former editor-in-chief, Audrey Cooper. She now works at WNYC in New York. We played that clip of her talking to Erin Alday and asked her to, to think back about her feelings. That is a really hard clip for me to listen to for so many reasons. I think the least of which is there's a saying in journalism that there's no such thing as a new story. But for... I think almost all of us, this has been a new story to cover. And the idea that three weeks was this atrociously long amount of time seems so naive in retrospect when we know now that time seems to have lost all meaning. Three weeks seems like nothing to us. And I think about this now, particularly a year later, as I sit in my car in Queens, New York, about an hour away from my home in Brooklyn now. And I'm outside a high school where I'm going to today get the first shot of the Pfizer vaccine. And as I reflect over the last year and where we're going to be in the next year, I think what this pandemic has taught us and what I would like to have known a year ago and have said to myself then is that this year brought out the starkest examples of inequities that we have in our society. And for many of us, it was possible to shelter in place for three months. And it was possible to stay inside and not be affected as protests over racial inequity rocked the country. And all of these inequities, although difficult and annoying, we're still not that bad for many of us, but for hundreds of thousands and God forbid, maybe even more than a million Americans, they were life and death issues. And I just think about that as I get ready to go into this high school auditorium. And I think about 
what lessons past history play into this too. In San Francisco, after the 1906 earthquake, it took a year to rebuild the city. And almost as quickly as earthquake refugees flooded into neighborhoods like the Haight and the Richmond to live in places like earthquake shacks and earthquake tents, they flooded back out and didn't return to those neighborhoods. And although the city rebuilt in a year, it took those neighborhoods decades to recover from the economic fallout. And I think the same may be true after this pandemic. We may get back to some semblance of normal very soon, but these inequities are going to be magnified and with us and worsened for decades and decades unless we all take them, I think, a little bit more seriously. And I think that's the lesson over the last year and probably the one we need to think about for the next year. So I'm going to go get my shot now. Well, fortunately, Erin Alday has not left the Chronicle. She is still here and still with us. And I think she's just been one of our most amazing journalists over this past year, um, just writing top quality front page stories every day about this um, crazy pandemic and how it's going. So Erin, when you hear that tape um, of you and Audrey speaking about this really long three weeks, um, what occurs to you a year later? Uh, wow. Um, I mean, you know, like Audrey said, it it is hard to hear that, but also, you know, it just puts me right back in that mindset of where we were. And to me, it just hearing that really just demonstrates kind of how far we've come in our processing of this. I think all of us, and when I say all of us, I mean me and Audrey and all of us, um, you know, on this podcast and and readers, but even some of like the public health experts that we were talking to at the time, we were all like really naive about this. I think there were very few people at the time who anticipated um, just how what what a long haul we were in for, you know, how long this was going to go on. Um, and I think partly, and I remember talking to people about this after kind of as the weeks wore on, you know, even asking some folks, you know, in San Francisco um, in the governor's office at the state, you know, did you deliberately kind of build some uncertainty in that initial order? Because um, I think, as I recall, there wasn't actually a date for when it would end, or if it was, it was like in a month and then we'll reevaluate. It was something like that. Um, and I, you know, it's sort of like we figured out over time that that was a deliberate thing they did because people couldn't really, they couldn't really handle being told this was just going to be, you know, months or a year or like that kind of thing. It was just too much. It was already so shocking. And so it just, it was hard to wrap your head around the fact that we were even locking down to begin with, that then telling people this is, by the way, going to be, you know, a year or more of your lives. I think it was just, it was going to be too much for people to process. Um, it was certainly not something that I, you know, I was so kind of in the moment, I remember, and just such a mad scramble to just stay on top of all of the news that was happening left and right that like to then process we were going to be at this for that long. It just it's like your brain's just we can't we can't even go there. And what has it been like for you to be not only living this as a regular person, but covering it as a health journalist? Um, usually journalists cover um, disasters that are short and then we start talking about the rebuilding quickly like an earthquake or a plane crash or a shooting but this just goes on and on and on so what has that been like for you to to cover knowing that we're we're not even out of it a year later it's honestly it's really hard <laughs> um it's uh it's been 
it's been really, um, you know, it's been really stressful. No lie. Um, it's been really exhausting. Um, that just, just staying, like I said before, just staying on top of everything has been really challenging. And then, yeah, like it's been, it's been weird to be living it at the same time as we're reporting it, that every, it's kind of hard. I find to like separate myself from it sometimes and to not be kind of constantly writing things from my own kind of experience of it. So that's been, you know, usually it's just by nature, you you are talking to all different people and getting different voices and sort of, you're not really inserting your own perspective in the stories that we write, but you kind of can't help it in this case, you know, we're all experiencing this together. So that's been something to deal with, you know, at the same time, it's, it's you know it, there's, it's hard to find a way to frame this correctly, but it's been really thrilling. I mean, to be a health writer in the middle of a pandemic that's like a once in a century thing. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, what you know, what an opportunity, and you you kind of feel bad because obviously this has been just devastating. It's been awful, but like for me to get to talk to you know the people who the, the health officers who are making these decisions, like to get to talk to them you know, at the end of the day on their cell phone about how they're making these decisions in real time to talk to the scientists who are like actively studying this virus in their labs and then talking to me, you know, the day after they make some discovery is just incredible. Like I've never had an experience like that in my life and it is thrilling. It's, it's amazing. So that's, you know, that's been really, um, exhilarating, um, and certainly has kept me going through, through a lot of this. And if you could talk to um, yourself a year ago, um, what would you say? Um, you know, it's funny. You guys had sort of uh, prepped me on that. So I've, I've thought about it. And it's honestly, I, I don't know that I would give myself much of a heads up because, you know, you. I mean, I, yeah, I could have told, you know, earlier, earlier, Aaron, this is going to be this is actually really bad. And you should you should you should be reporting it from that perspective. But that's not how the story unfolded. Right. So you can't really like go back in time and do that. If there's one thing maybe I would have told earlier me is to kind of slow down a little bit, um, because, you know, we went at this hard and fast right out of the gate. Um, I think I worked every single day of March and probably, I mean, probably almost every day of April. And maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I probably should have built in some downtime. And I think that's true for a lot of of our, especially our health team folks, um, just kind of, we've been working at such an insane pace throughout this. And I think if we had thought it was going to be this insane for this long, we would have, you know, built in some, some downtime throughout. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put in a plug for you right now that when this is all over, Damien, she deserves a lot of extra vacation time. She certainly does. Consider it Consider it done. You know, that advice about slowing down is so important, and it reminds me of something that Dr. Maya Kotis said on the show. She's from UCSF, and she talked a lot about that. The full interview with her uh, was published on Saturday and is available at Fifth and Mission. We're going to take a quick break now on this anniversary show of the shutdown for the pandemic in the Bay Area. When we come back, we're going to hear from listeners, and we're also going to hear from some doctors, nurses, and other medical personnel on their year. Let's hear from one listener before we go. That's Bijan C. Bain, who is giving us a bit of advice on what he would tell his pre-pandemic self. Eat right, get your rest. A lot of it is political. Stay in touch with your friends. Stay in touch with your relatives. Appreciate your friends, appreciate your relatives, 
appreciate freedom to travel, appreciate the ability to get together in groups, and appreciate your time, because time is the only commodity that we can't replace. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Don't be afraid. Everything will be all right. Just keep washing your hands, sanitizing, and uh, keep a mask on. The world is a scary place this last in 2020, but you can make it. Just keep your family close, keep talking to people, and don't be afraid to share how hard it is and to get a laugh out of it as well. I highly recommend drinking your good wine early because you know what? It's just, why not? Be safe and wash your hands. That was Julie Taylor. We asked listeners of Fifth and Mission what they would say to themselves if they could go back to last March. So Damien, I think drinking your good wine early is always good advice. Um, do you have any advice you would give yourself back in last March? I think toilet paper and wine is is a great place to start. You know, I think like everyone, I've had trouble with the time change over the past year. It, it doesn't feel real. I feel like I've lost a lot of time with my mom and dad and the rest of my family members and, and extended family and friends. And, you know, I think that I would tell myself to to try to keep those connections really strong. Um, you know, it's it's not enough to say I'll I'll talk to you again after the pandemic because it's just gone on too long for that. Yeah, um, I would tell myself to cut myself some slack and not be working twenty four seven when you're at home. It's really easy to never like end the workday. So um, maybe I shouldn't say that to my boss, Damien, but um, I think <laughs> all of us need to know when to turn off the computer. I've had the same issue. I, I used to spend a good 10 or 15 hours a week commuting to work, and I've just replaced that with, with work. One thing I think I did right was getting tons of exercise and going outside and getting fresh air. I remember our colleague, Adin Viziri, didn't leave his apartment for six months, and I always teased him. It's like, you have to get outside, go for walks, enjoy the good things that have happened um, in San Francisco, like the great highway shutting to cars and Twin Peaks and slow streets and um, JFK Drive and uh, getting out and getting some movement was important for me. That brings us to our next listener who gave us a thought about the last year. This is Elliot Smith, and he talks about the last basketball game he went to. My name's Elliot. I live in Suquamish, Washington. In March 2020, I lived in El Cerrito, and my buddy Zalen and I got Cal Bears tickets for men's basketball. And we kind of blew off the first half of the game and just hung out in the bar down the road having beers and figured, eh, we'll show up at halftime. So we did, and we watched half that ball game. If I could record a message to myself a year ago, I would say, dude, that is the last live sporting event you're going to see in person for a long time. 
Don't waste time in the bar. Go see basketball. Cheers. Well, I'm not sure why Elliot Smith wasn't more worried about not being able to go to a bar for the next year than just the basketball game, but at least his priorities are in order. Aaron, what was the last thing you went to before the pandemic started? Well, funnily enough, the last big thing I went to was a basketball game. <laughs> uh, it was a it was a Warriors game. It was my very first Warriors game. Um, and I think Heather was there too, right? We went for a Chronicle yeah. thing. Um, Audrey had had let a bunch of people, um, staffers, go to a Warriors game, had invited us. And I do remember going there and feeling like maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> like it was it was kind of getting late enough in in things and and things were starting to wind down. I think that there was maybe one other Warriors game after that before those games were shut down entirely. But it did feel a little bit like, should we be in this closed off room? Because we were in a in like a VIP suite and and should we be here and should we be sharing this oxygen and taking an Uber ride back together? Um, but hey, it was it was. Yeah, well, imagine how I felt in Hawaii. Here. <laughs> I know this is terrible. Well, I think all of us can agree that healthcare professionals have been the real hero of the past year. Uh, City Hall reporter Trisha Thadani interviewed many of them for a piece she did last May, and we're going to hear from two of those nurses now. First is Karen Collin. She's a registered nurse for HealthRight 360 Integrated Care Center, and this is what she said last May. It is important to reiterate the fact that uh, it might be hard and it might seem like you're not doing anything, but you know, continue to do what you're doing and stay home as much as possible. Um, you know, take advantage of all these uh, technologies that we have nowadays to, to uh, continue to socialize with uh, with your loved ones and your friends, um, but from a distance. That was registered nurse Karen Collin last May, and we'll hear from her again. Uh, this was just recorded last week. The first months, it was literally like you stay home, right? You like are not really doing anything. Maybe you would go for a walk, but how do you been? And then after a while, I, th- I think, okay, well, we need to start doing something for our own health. So, you know, going out and going on, on hikes. I think also just kind of like talking about it and checking in with people. You know, I feel at work, we would sometimes kind of decompress or talk about specific issues that had happened or how we felt or at home, I think doing the same. So I don't have this like, oh, I started doing yoga and I started doing like meditation. I don't know. I don't, I don't really have those, the, those stories, but I think it was just, I think like for many other people, I think it was just like the days just passed mm-hmm. and you adapted to different things. You know, you started, people I think started like buying plants and that became their hobby and mm-hmm. other people started like, you know, just rearranging their home. So I think, I think I just adapted like that, where a few months it would be going on bike rides um, and then it would turn into, you know, binge watching everything you could possibly binge watch. So really distraction, really distraction. Trisha also interviewed Jason Negron Gonzalez, an emergency room nurse at SF General last May. Here's what he said back then. We've seen Trump go from mismanaging the situation now to undermining it and pushing for protests and pushing for other states to open up when they've done none of the work that's necessary to get the things in place that they need to be able to be safe. That was Jason Negron Gonzalez, an emergency room nurse at SF General Hospital. And we talked to him again just last week. In some ways, I feel like it's it's kind of had phases, you know, I think that um, probably like it has for everyone. Like, you know, it was interesting in the beginning, 
it was kind of expected in some ways. There was a level of anxiety. Like you were sort of seeing stuff happening internationally. You're like, okay, is this going to happen here? And what's it going to be like? And kind of the, the energy around that and kind of preparing for that. Just to get like slightly medical for a second, I think there was a high level of concern about this question of, like I would go to work and I was cleaning doorknobs, you know? That ended up, ended up not being as important as, as, as this airborne stuff, right? But I think that was scary, right? So I think that in that early moment, you're like, okay, am I going to pick it up in some way? What am I having to take care with at work? I remember the first patient that we saw. Oh man, who's going to go in that room? And, you know, and the total lockdown of the spring through just kind of dealing with stuff this summer and the upsurge this summer. Yeah, I think there's been different moments of it. For me, like a lot of my, a lot of, I think what's been a support is my family, you know, the kind of community of folks, like my neighbors, which sounds kind of crazy and corny, but, you know, we were, we would hang out in front of the house all the time. Like we weren't going anywhere and they would hang out in front of their house. We'd hang out from our house and still just find like social interaction and support where you had it, you know, and try to be there for each other. Finally, we're going to hear from Dr. Maya Kotis. She appeared on Fifth and Mission last May. She's a clinical instructor at UCSF, and she volunteered to go work at a hospital in New York last April. That's when New York City was the epicenter of the pandemic in the U.S. She spoke to Sarah Feldberg for Fifth and Mission from New York in May, and here's what she said. I wasn't really sure, like, how I was going to handle the number of deaths that we were going to see. And, um, you know, I didn't really know how I was going to work in sort of suboptimal circumstances. I've only had like a few cases in my life where I encountered a medical emergency or some situation where I didn't really feel like I had the equipment that I needed. And, um, and those were terrifying because, you know, we, in the ICU, it's like part of what we do is try to take care of totally uncontrolled circumstances in the most controlled way we have with like, you know, maximum amount of equipment and whatnot. So I was scared about that. And to a lesser extent, I was scared about getting sick. Um, I think that was probably the thing that was the least concerning to me. I was scared about being lonely out here. I was scared about not knowing what to do or how to care for these patients. I was scared about, you know, working with people I didn't know who didn't trust me, who didn't know me, not knowing the hospital system, like pretty much everything. Recently, Sarah Feldberg talked to Dr. Kotis again. She talked about the experience of treating COVID patients who can't see family members. It's just truly horrible because the levels of like grief and guilt that family members are experiencing are just so profound. Like the number of cases that we've had where, you know, a, a adult child was the only person seeing their parent and they were just trying to bring them food and they were not coming in the house and they were trying their best to distance from them and they know that they were the source of infection and then they're not with them day after day after day after day after day until we finally tell them they're dying and that they can come for their one hour window during which they stand outside of the room and say goodbye to them and like the thought that like you know you were the one who brought it to them you killed your parent and you never get to say goodbye again. You never get to hold their hand. You don't watch them through the entirety of it. You don't really know. You just have to blindly have faith that like somebody like me is there telling you the truth about whether or not they're really getting better. Or they're really getting worse. And then you just have to let them go. And maybe you never saw them again. You never hold them again. Like that is the most horrible thing. 
That was Dr. Maya Kotis. It was a powerful conversation that she had with our Sarah Feldberg. We decided to take the whole interview and put it on the fifth admission feed. It is there now for listeners. All right, Heather and Aaron, that's it for our special episode looking back at one year of the pandemic. I want to thank everyone who talked to us or submitted audio for this program. Thanks to Audrey Cooper and thanks to the Chronicles, Sarah Feldberg and Trisha Thadani. Thanks also to King Kaufman for producing this episode and thank you for listening all year. 